Certainly you know that we priests are offering Mass for you and your intentions daily to stay connected to our parish and to grow in our devotion to the sacraments. We're just sharing some accounts of the liturgy being offered under difficult circumstances. So hopefully this is helpful and edifying to you during this tough time. For 23 agonizing years, the American priest, Father Walter Sizek, was captive in Soviet prisons and labor camps of Siberia, the infamous Russian gulags. He had voluntarily trained at the request of the Holy Father to do secret priestly work in communist territory, but was quickly discovered and sentenced for espionage on behalf of the Vatican. His story of ministering clandestinely to his fellow prisoners is a testament to the power of the sacraments, even under the most dire and grim of circumstances imaginable. From He Leadeth Me by Father Walter Sizek After a few months, when Father Victor and I had adjusted somewhat to Barrick's existence as a way of life, we were able to find more and more occasions to say Mass. We would walk out together, for example, into the forest, and there offer Mass on a stump of a tree. I could not help thinking how the forest sometimes resembled a cathedral, the tall rows of towering trees arching over us, the hushed silence, the natural beauty around us, the silent whiteness of the snow in winter. Even time seemed to stand still as we offered the eternal sacrifice of Calvary for the many intentions that filled our thoughts and our hearts, not the least of which was the thought of the deprived thousands of the church of silence here in this once Christian land for whom we had come to work as priests in secret. I shall never forget, as long as I am a priest, those masses in the forests and the Urals. At other times, Father Victor and I would say Mass sitting on the edge of our beds across from one another. We pretended to be reading or talking softly as we said the Mass prayers. We could not use the chalice in the barracks, so our cup became a common drinking glass and our host a piece of leavened bread. If people stopped to chat, we tried to break off conversation as pleasantly and quickly as we could, and so recapture our recollection and continue our secret Eucharist. I worked outside with the lumber gangs, but Father Victor worked as an accountant in the company offices, so he always kept the Blessed Sacrament wrapped in a purificator inside his wallet in the pocket of his coat. That way, we could at least receive communion each day if Mass became impossible. Later on, after we had made friends with the scrubwoman who took care of the barracks, we would sometimes leave the Blessed Sacrament carefully hidden in a bundle of clothes in her little private office and living room. She was a Catholic, as we came to know, and she helped us in many ways. It was one of her greatest joys to have the Blessed Sacrament in her room and to know that the Lord she worshipped dwelt under her roof. You cannot explain all this, I know, to those who do not believe. Even for many Christians, I fear, the notion of the Blessed Sacrament as the bread of life is somehow only a poetic or symbolic phrase used by Jesus in the Gospel. Yet what a source of sustenance it was to us then how much it meant to us to have the body and blood of Christ as the food of our spiritual lives in the sacrament of love and joy. The experience was very real, 
You could feel its effects upon your mind and heart, upon your daily life. For us it was a necessity to foster the life of the soul, just as our daily bread was necessary to sustain the body. There were so many of the exiles here in the Urals who were deprived of it and seemed indifferent. God, in his own way, took care of these spiritually starved people, I have no doubt, just as he was taking care of us in a special way. Who of us can fully understand the ways of God? For us, though, this bread of life, this Eucharist, was truly a source of communion with him and with those to whom we long to bring him. The five long years in Lubyanka brought this home to me more forcefully than ever. I was deprived of that spiritual food and the reality of that communion. I turned to God in prayer, made frequent acts of spiritual communion throughout the day, but I literally hungered to be able to receive him once again. Every day I said from memory the prayers of the Mass, and sometimes I think these prayers served only to emphasize my sense of deprivation from the Eucharist. In those days of torment and stress, of darkness and humiliation, I knew I desperately needed that source of strength the bread of life might have provided, and I could not have it. I prayed to God, I talked to Him, and asked for help and strength. I knew that He was with me. All this I had, and yet I could not have Him in my hands. I could not have His sacramental presence. And the difference to me was very real. It was a hunger of the soul as real to me as the bodily hunger I constantly experienced through those years. I have often wondered in the years since whether I would have failed as badly, have come so close to despair, if I had somehow had available to me that bread of life. When I reached the prison camps of Siberia, I learned to my great joy that it was possible to say Mass daily once again. In every camp, the priests and prisoners would go to great lengths, run risks willingly, just to have the consolation of this sacrament. For those who could not get to Mass, we daily consecrated hosts and arranged for the distribution of communion to those who wished to receive. Our risk of discovery, of course, was greater in the barracks because of the lack of privacy and the presence of informers. Most often, therefore, we set our daily Mass somewhere at the worksite during the noon break. Despite this added hardship, everyone observed a strict Eucharistic fast from the night before, passing up a chance for breakfast and working all morning on an empty stomach. Yet no one complained. In small groups, the prisoners would shuffle into the assigned place, and there the priest would say Mass in his working clothes, unwashed, disheveled, bundled up against the cold. We said Mass in drafty storage shacks or huddled in mud and slush in the corner of a building site foundation of an underground. The intensity of devotion of both priests and prisoners made up for everything. There were no altars, candles, bells, flowers, music, snow-white linens, stained glass, or the warmth that even the simplest parish church could offer. Yet in these primitive conditions, the Mass brought you closer to God than anyone might conceivably imagine. The realization of what was happening on the board, box, or stone used in place of an altar penetrated deep into the soul. Distractions caused by the fear of discovery which accompanied each saying of the Mass under such conditions took nothing away from the effect that the tiny bit of bread and a few drops of consecrated wine produced upon the soul. Many a time as I folded up the handkerchief on which the body of our Lord had lain, 
and dried the glass or tin cup used as a chalice, the feeling of having performed something tremendously valuable for the people of this godless country was overpowering. Just the thought of having celebrated Mass here, in this spot, made my journey to the Soviet Union and the sufferings I endured seem totally worthwhile and necessary. No other inspiration could have deepened my faith more, could have given me spiritual courage and greater abundance than the privilege of saying Mass for these poorest and most deprived members of Christ, the Good Shepherd's flock. I was occasionally overcome with emotion for a moment as I thought of how he had found a way to follow and to feed these lost and strange sheep in this most desolate land. So I never let a day pass without saying Mass is my primary concern each new day. I would go to any length, suffer any inconvenience, run any risk to make the bread of life available to these men. Our rare free days, when all the prisoners were allowed to rest in camp, were the hardest of all on which to say Mass. It was the easiest time to say Mass for a large group, though, if you could get together on some pretext or other in the prison camp yard. And occasionally we did risk such a Mass, especially if the day coincided with a special religious feast or festival. But generally, on such days, I would say Mass early in the morning, half lying on the bunk, while most of the prisoners still slept. I would procure the wine the night before in the camp clinic or the camp disinfecting room where friends who worked there kept the wine hidden for the priests. I held the bread in my hands, wrapped in a piece of white cloth as I lay on the bunk, and I said the prayers of the Mass by heart. Before the signal to rise was given, I would have finished my Mass on these occasions and then be able to distribute communion to others under cover of the general commotion and moving about that always followed the rising signal. Time and again, I was amazed at the devotion of these men. It was to such men as these that I had been chosen and I was privileged to bring the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, Christ said to his disciples, you shall not have life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall have life and have it more abundantly. These men with simple and direct faith grasped this truth and they believed in it. They could not explain it as a theologian might, but they accepted it and lived by it and were willing to make voluntary sacrifices even in a life of almost total deprivation in order to receive this bread of life. Mass and the Blessed Sacrament were a source of great consolation to me. They were the source of my strength and joy and spiritual sustenance. But it was when I realized what the Holy Eucharist meant to these men, what sacrifices they were willing to make for it, that I felt animated, privileged, driven to make it possible for them to receive this bread of life as often as they wished. No danger, no risk, no retaliation could prevent my saying Mass each day for them. As often as you do this, do it in memory of me. Life in the labor camps was Calvary for these men in many ways every day. There was nothing I would not do to offer the sacrifice of Calvary again for them each day in the Mass. May the Lord bless you and those you love.